if the person can't converse, for instance, I was told, asked to go and see a woman who was sitting in her Broda chair, screaming, 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 didn't stop. And we were trying to look after the other residents in that dining room and this resident. So we put her for a little while, um, we can't do restraints. So we sat her comfortably in the chapel by herself for a little while. And I went and sat with her. She, could, she did not anymore have verbal ability. So I put myself close enough physically to her Broda chair that she could touch me if she wanted to, and that my presence would impinge on her awareness. She would be aware that there is a person there. I'd like you to meet David Van Essen. He has been a chaplain and a social worker, as if serving as a chaplain wasn't enough with Baptist Housing since 1997. David has already retired, but has been serving part-time recently, which was when I was able to catch up with him for a virtual interview. I asked David to talk with us about what his practices are like when he meets new residents for the first time. If you are a new chaplain, or if you're wanting to grow your interviewing skills with the residents or people you serve, then I hope this conversation will offer some inspiration for you. First off, I'm just naturally a very curious person. Um, and I, I notice all sorts of details. Um, and um, so I approach a new resident uh, on a number of levels. First of all, um, I just want to be curious and discover who they are. Let them set the agenda. They're the expert on themselves. Um, so I come with certainly questions in my head um, and because of my research, a, a good awareness of what spiritual assessment tools suggest that we look for, things like spiritual distress, um, the person's storyline, their lifeline, um, some of the significant events that have happened and where they're at now, um, and what their questions uh, about their situation and their lives and their relationships are. So I have those in mind and I let those um, help me to listen and watch, but I don't let them set my agenda. So first off, I don't usually read their chart at all before I go see them. I, I want a blank slate. I don't mm. want to know sad things like they have Corsicost syndrome from heavy drinking over decades. I don't want to know that they're um, estranged from their son or their daughter. Or, um, I don't want to know those things before I meet them. I will know them, and I will probably deal with those things in interacting with that person. But I don't want to be prejudiced in any way, partly because I know that I bring me to this interaction. Um, so for instance, um, part of my uh, ethnic heritage is German. And I was born in Canada, but I have a German, had a German grandfather. He mm. was um, not a nice man to my dad, and that caused great distress. And so a reaction of mine can be if I go to meet an older German gentleman who has that lovely accent in his speech in English, inside yeah. of me, I recoil a little and have negative thoughts and have hard time listening mm. because that's happening inside of me. I know that. I'm just a normal human being. 
So I don't want to know that beforehand. I don't want to pre-judge anything. And it, whatever I discover, I want to be the best listener I possibly can be. So not knowing anything about the person helps me a great deal. Um, so I do not go with a list of questions. I arrive, let's say, in the room and uh, pay attention to what I experience. Um, I, I see a person. Um, I see different aspects of that person. I see things in the room and I start interacting. I introduce myself. Um, depending on the person's level of ability to communicate verbally, um, we go from there. Um, yeah. Maybe there's some pictures on the wall, family. And I say, wow, I think this is a picture of you on your marriage day. And then I don't ask a question. I let it dangle. And perhaps <laughs> the person starts filling in a story. Or maybe they don't. Both yeah. might be quite telling. Um, silence can indicate all sorts of things. It can indicate distress. But I don't dive into that yet. I'm just putting that on a corner of my mind. I don't bring note paper. Um, I, I just try to keep eye contact and, and be curious. Yeah. Um, so I interact with the person, whatever they give me. Uh, and that approach for me helps me to pay attention to the person really much better than I think I do otherwise. Yeah. Um, I stay however long that seems suitable. Some people sometimes give you your cue. They say, thank you, thank you, Pastor, for coming to see this, which I yeah. translate as meaning, time to go now. Yeah. Um, and then I go back to my office, uh, and then I look up Point Click Care and uh, read about their care plan, start thinking about what my spiritual care plan is, what my questions are that I may or may not yet know, make some notes about my interactions. I used to draw cartoons of people. Really? As to how they've impressed me. I, I don't mean impressed, made a good impression. I just mean whatever it was that I carried away from that interaction, I try to incorporate it into a cartoon that never left my file. Yeah. And that helped me to get to know them quickly. So if somebody had massively big glasses or um, a very smiley face, that would make it into my cartoon. And for a while, I'd get to know them because I'd remember them by my little yeah. creativity. That's so interesting. And you would keep like a, a paper file on, on each person that you work with? Yes, and actually I still do that. So in the old days, I used to have a three by five card uh, arranged with pertinent information. It could go in my shirt pocket so that if I suddenly had to make a palliative or a hospital visit, I would have the family relations. By then I knew what was broken, what was getting fixed, um, mm. what was whatever. Uh, so I'd have that on this three by five card, which I would read on my way to the hospital room, let's say. So I'm familiar with who I might see in the room and my previous interactions, because um, I used to cover 350 care residents. Um, yeah. When I retired, I was down to only 100. Um, but I can't remember all those relationships. So oh, goodness, no. I actually still do that three by five card. I have been loving these conversations with our veteran chaplains. There have been moments in both conversations we've had so far where I've picked up on something I have never thought of doing before, or I was impressed by something they were doing and want to try it myself. I enjoyed hearing how David uses both electronic and paper-based record tracking as he serves and gets to know his residents. 
But what I especially enjoyed hearing about was how he employs his personality and creativity in something as potentially boring or mundane as record keeping. I mean, drawing a private cartoon about the resident to help him remember who they are was so funny, but also helpful. How about you? Was there something that struck you from this segment that you'd like to incorporate into what you do? A few moments ago, you heard David mention something called PCC, which is an electronic system that some of our residences use to keep track of residents' care needs. PCC can be an overwhelming and scary looking tool. And so in this next segment, David takes us on a deep, perhaps nerdy, look into how he uses PCC and how maybe you can use it too. So uh, I'm curious now. So when you were describing your, when you went to, in to visit with the resident and you were engaging with them uh, and you were making mental notes in your mind about what you were hearing and after that visit was, was finished, you mentioned that you would go back to your office and then uh, kind of download everything that you had in your in your mind on into your paper file and also onto uh, PCC or or whatever electronic means are being used for for the residents. Yes. And then, um, what information would you store online, and what information would you store on paper? So online, uh, things that uh, the whole. Um, point-to-point point care is it's, it is like a think pad for us as an interdisciplinary healthcare team. So I enter things that the other disciplines need to know. So the nurse needs to know if there's a son in Edmonton that this uh, new resident has not spoken to for 10 years. Nurse needs yeah. to know that because she may end up interacting with that individual and sensitivity is a good thing. Um, the team needs to know, uh, was the person Roman Catholic, uh, or were they Anglican? Um, what, what was the flavor of their, um, faith involvement? Um, or if, if they were agnostic or whatever. So that needs, yeah. there's, there's spots in our PCC for that, that needs to go in. And then eventually, um, hopefully by the first care conference, six weeks into their residency, I've got, uh, the beginnings of a spiritual care plan. Um, I'm aware they love music. And um, this just lights them up and, and the stories start to flow and uh, the sense of um, God in their lives um, becomes apparent. So yeah. those things go in. Um, the things that stay in my paper file, I have a, a, a full eight and a half by 11 sheet file that I can put the admission sheet in and any assessments that other disciplines have made that I find helpful. Um, and then some of my own notes about the private things about the person that I would be careful how I charted for everybody. Because yeah. um, it is a private interaction, the chaplain and the resident. And there are things that one person said to me in the middle of the conversation, there was one of those pauses and silence. And then the man said, there's something, well, and then he stopped. And I said, sounds like something kind of big. He said, yeah, something I've never told anybody. Hmm. I said, wow, that, that does sound big. Um, I'm here. Uh, if you want to talk. Okay, well, when can we do that? And he said, well, now's good for me. How is it for you? So 
he told me a very sad event that happened during the Second World War. Oh. And um, I was careful how I charted that because that, that's very personal information. So I, own, I charted it as some distress over past, significant past life experiences. Yeah. And that went on paper. So uh, his story went on paper for me that, uh, that I keep locked away for just me. Right. Um, but an indication that he, he has some current distress about a long ago event. Um, again, I'm even careful how I say that because I know another discipline might go in and say, oh, I understand that you're distressed about something that happened a long time ago. Oh, no, that's, that's not cool. Um, so I don't want to, um, I don't mean the, that other team members being uncool. I mean, I put them in an uncool position. I, I've told mm. them something that they shouldn't know yet unless the individual wants them to. Yeah. So I'm real, really careful what goes into the, the electric charting, just what we all need to know. Sure. So just, just uh, uh, you've got me curious about this, because this is something right. that I'm thinking a lot about and trying to figure out myself. So, yes. and I imagine if I'm thinking about it, there's got to be one other person who's wondering right. about it too. But um, so inside of the the PCC, the, the electronic version of this, yeah. there there's like, we create a, a spiritual care uh, tab. Yes. I, I don't know if it's the same for you or not, but uh, we are the ones, the chaplain is the one who creates it. Yes. And we that's where we create our care plan. Uh, you were mentioning that you create information with the audience in mind of being your your co-workers, like the, the nurse or the social worker, or uh, is, is in your mind, are you hoping that they will jump over to the spiritual care uh, tab and I read what you're writing? Yeah, I, I want to tweak people's in, uh, engagement. Um, for, for most of us, probably 99.9% .9 of us that sign up for these jobs, it's because um, interacting with people and people work lights our fire. It's, we want that. Um, yeah. If we didn't, you know, we would choose another profession that we didn't have to be so involved with people. So I, I already know that we're easily engaged with other human beings. I, I just, I want to enable that even more. So yeah, yeah there, there's lots of, um, uh, all of us have an integrated nature of spirituality, physical, psychological, social, etc. Um, and we're all giving care to, to these same people. So um, teamwork is, is so important. So I want to enable that. Um, tweak the curiosity and, and engagement of others. Um, and I want them to have information they need. So for instance, I get a note um, that um, Mrs. Smith is palliative and uh, I look up my information. I see that she's been Roman Catholic all her life. Um, so I've already made sure that her chart indicates whether or not she wants um, prayer for healing or what we used to call last rites from the priest. Yeah. Um, so that if I'm not available when the person is palliative and if it looks like an urgent quick situation and the nurse isn't able to find me, she has the information. Ah, yes, this person told David she wants last rites. I, I best, David gave me the phone number, the emergency 24-hour number for the priest. I'll get him. So I, that's really important that that piece is there. And then secondly, for, for us as uh, chaplains, we're charting in the progress notes 
So uh, let's say that I knew in time to go see Mrs. Smith. I, I'm not Roman Catholic, but um, I've interacted with her in the past, and so I go see Mrs. Smith, and uh, we, we probably pray together and chat, um, or I just sit there. And then I put that into progress notes. So I go, um, sat with resident for 20 minutes. Um, resident was not responsive. I spoke to her, prayed out loud for her, could not see any response. Um, she seemed to be resting comfortably. And then that electronic signature that says it was me that was there. So that when the daughter calls in later and says, how's mom? The nurse looks at the progress notes and goes, well, our chaplain's been in. He called the priest. Uh, the priest will be here in about a half an hour, I understand. All that information that's so comforting to the family member. Um, yeah. We're a team. We, we need to know those things. And if I didn't put that in the progress notes, if the nurse couldn't go to the spiritual care plan and see, um, that would be a, a real lack in our care for Mrs. Smith. Yeah. So... Uh, that raises a, just one more question. I'll, <laughs> maybe we're geeking out on something, um, but the in the in the progress notes part, um, I read in one of the um, I don't know if it was in in one of the guidelines or something about uh, charting in there that it's supposed to be like the exceptional things. Not That's like correct. common every like every day when I go to visit Mrs. Smith, for example, before she was palliative, I wouldn't be charting every visit in there no. unless it was a very significant visit. Maybe okay. if she maybe mentioned, OK, I'm super depressed and I'm considering killing myself or absolutely. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm being drastic, but well, that would that be happens. something that I would want to put in the in the progress notes. That's right. So um, uh, self-harm, for sure. Uh, if the person yeah. uh, voices self-harm. Uh, that goes in the progress notes, and then our protocol is that we contact the nurse right away. Right. That's immediate. Um, if it's not quite that urgent, uh, it's some distress that was communicated, then it, it, it could be appropriate to chart. Um, saw a resident today. Resident was tearful, expressed some distress. Uh, we'll follow, uh, and we'll make referral to social worker. Right. Things like that. But. Yeah, so so you wouldn't uh, record. I sat down for coffee with Mrs. Smith, and it was a great conversation. No, absolutely not. No. And and I follow the lead of our nurses who are so skilled because they're doing this um, all the time. Um, I follow their lead, so I see um, you know a change of medication, a, a doctor visit, um, uh, a, a elevated temperature. You know, those are significant events, and, yeah. and that helps me to determine what my significant events are. Um, and it is a legal document. So, um, again, we, we need to be circumspect about what goes in there. It yeah. could be subpoenaed for court if the, ever there was some kind of litigation or something. And that happens, too. Yeah. And, and in the in the spiritual care tab, the one where it's it's your the care plan that you're building, is that where you would like how often are you updating that that document? for each resident? Are you just putting in significant uh, discoveries about the person? Like what you were saying before, oh, I discovered today that she is Roman Catholic and she has a very strong connection to her uh, local parish, for example. That would go in the yes. in your care plan? Yes. So I, I like to be cryptic on it because I do want other people to read it. Um, so I'll put in the, the middle section, I think, the, the um, uh, not the specific 
uh, strategies, but the goals we're going to have. I'll put uh, Roman Catholic faith, lifelong, uh, very, was very involved in the church. Um, St. Pius was her parish. Now we're in, as, as is done in that system, we're in the local parish. Um, so I'll indicate Roman Catholic, lifelong, was very committed, um, loves uh, scripture reading or yeah. you know, whatever. So um, briefly, that's what I put in when I discovered that. And I update it whenever I discover those things. So my first goal is the six-week um, care conference to put right. in whatever I've got by then. And then usually we get to interact with family, which is a marvelous source of information. Um, and uh, then I get more into the, the details of what we're going to do. We're going to make sure she goes to Mass when it's available or whatever. Okay. So to you, the, the spiritual care tab... That's a living document for you. Yes. It's not something that you do once at the beginning and that's it. Correct. You, you're constantly, well, continually building on it as you learn more about the, about the resident. Yes. And I'm checking myself all the time because golly, we can get very busy and I can forget whether I've entered something or, you know, you get back to your office or partway there, somebody goes, Oh, I need you over here. And then you're over there and it doesn't get done. So yeah. once in a while, I'll go through the whole kit and caboodle and see who I've missed, what's, what's missing. Curiosity. I just loved hearing how interested David is in learning more about each resident he meets and how he records that information, some for PCC and some for his own record keeping. I never thought about record keeping as being part of my contribution to effective teamwork. I like how David put that and appreciated the reminder that what we contribute about those we serve can offer our other team members serving that same resident a deeper understanding of who they are taking care of. But what I really appreciated and what has already been changing the way I use PCC has been how I chart about important visits so that our other team members can share that information with family if they ask about their loved one's care. In my lack of experience with this program, I just never saw it being used in this way. That a nurse or a doctor could read through the progress notes, for example, and share that you or I had stopped in to visit their loved one, as well as what we did for them during that visit. And that that information could be of great comfort or help for that person or family member. That made a big difference for me. How about you? Did anything stick out to you? from this section of our interview. Next, David shares a little bit about what he would do on a normal day. One of the things that I do each day is to do rounds. So I go throughout the building, um, maybe not all at the same time, but before the day's over, so that staff and residents have had a chance to go, oh, David, you're here today. Here, we'd really like you to sit with whoever. This is happening. Um, or a staff member that's distressed about something, and I'm I'm the chaplain for her too. Um, yeah. So I try to put myself out and about, and I've had the privilege of mentoring a number of chaplains and social workers over my years. And one of their questions is, "What do I do when there's nothing to do? When I don't know what to do next?" And I'll say, mm. ah, "Wander around, put yourself out there. Don't spend more time than you have to in your office." 
Yeah. We're here for the people. Yeah. So when you're doing your rounds, you walk on, um, I'm just thinking about the heights of Mount View where there's, it, it really does feel like you're in a, in one way, you feel like you're in a hospital setting. There's, you walk onto the floor and you're immediately in front of a dining area almost. So that's kind of like a little, a little community kitchen, if you want to think about it that way. And then to the right, there's like a little lounge where people can sit and watch TV. Uh, and if you walk a little bit farther, then there's like this long hallway where, where the residents rooms are. Yes. And so for you, when you, when you start your rounds, I don't know if that's what it looked like where, where you work, but when you start your rounds, what is your typical, what do you do? Um, yeah. Uh, the way Sunpoint, for instance, where I am right now is set up uh, is that uh, team members come in through the kitchen way so that we don't confuse residents as to exiting the community if, if it's a secure community. Um, so I usually end up just physically being with the team first um, and um, maybe I have a question for them or whatever. So a little bit yeah. of interaction there. I see somebody that I haven't seen um, for a while. Um, uh, I've been at this for 22 years here and lots of our team members have been here for 40 years. Wow. Um, we're all getting old together. Um, yeah. So I see old friends and, and we interact. Then I go off into the dining area where residents are seated um, or moving about, um, wait to see whose attention gets caught. Um, and usually I'll go the hallways as well where the rooms are um, for either people that I know don't leave the room or just let's see what happens. So I walk yeah. by an open door and there's the resident and they wave at me. So <laughs> I stop and, and, and we might chat a little bit. Um, or I might have asked about somebody specifically that never leaves their room. Uh, I might have asked the nurse or the care aide as I go through the kitchen and they say, oh yeah, you know what? He's been sitting in his room this morning crying um, after mm -hmm. he did care. I, I, I bet a little stop there would be a good one. So yeah. um, I, I love that information that care aides in particular have because they're so close to the residents. Yeah. And as, as you're walking around, do you feel any sense of uh, like the pressure of an agenda? Like I have to go and see 10 people today, or are you more like let, let, who, who connects with me first sort of thing? And what do I notice when I go in this room? Is there, what kind of a feeling is there in you? Like a, a sense of pressure? I need to go to X number of rooms or I'm not successful, or is it sort of uh so I want, I want to be flexible and spontaneous. I also want to be sane and not over anxious. So yeah. I have a little priority list. My priority list is those that are palliative. I, I need to pay attention. I need to get there right away because anything mm -hmm. can happen. Um, it, a new resident would be high on my priority list. I want to see where they are and interact. Um, and then down a little list from there, my, my priorities are in my mind and, and it's just my practice that's I do that so I don't need to think the priorities um, I may have set out from my office with that palliative resident in mind so I will not get distracted with my uh, spontaneity and, until I yeah. have that interaction yeah. and made whatever record I need to after it um, our days are, are interspersed with um, meetings that we have to be at care conferences that are scheduled um, a family member that wants to see us so there is a schedule in my mind, and I, I try to pay attention to that without getting too stressed. Um, 
but I love the, the what, what's it called, serendipity of going with your curiosity. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, I mean, mindfulness is this current interest in psychology and um, lots of areas. Um, I, I guess I've done that a lot and I've learned a lot more about being mindful. Just here I am here. These are the people in front of me. This is what I see. Um, yeah. I even do that when I speak. I'm, I'm rather old. I'm pushing 70. So yeah. I've reinvented my public presentation style many times. My current one is no notes. So I watch faces and I may notice during the presentation a tearfulness in somebody or a looking away or a folding of arms on the chest. Mm. And I'll notice that. And afterward, when there's interaction, I'll put myself where that person is and see what happens. Yeah. So I love paying attention to what's going on because, um, well, it's pretty easy to miss. Up next, I asked David to talk about how he is taking care of himself emotionally, spiritually, and mentally as a caregiver. If the person can't converse, for instance, I was told, asked to go and see a woman who was sitting in her rota chair screaming, 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 didn't stop. And we were trying to look after the other residents in that dining room and this resident. So we put her for a little while. Um, we can't do restraints. So we sat her comfortably in the chapel by herself for a little while. And I went and sat with her. She, could, she did not anymore have verbal ability. So I put myself close enough physically to her broda chair that she could touch me if she wanted to and that my presence would impinge on her awareness. She would be aware that there was a person there. Yeah. She did stop screaming for a short time, reached out her arm and put it on my arm. So mm. I sat there. Then she started to scratch me and the scratching got harder and harder till she was almost drawing blood. So, oh my. Um, you know, I don't know what the meaning of that is. I don't know who I was for her. Um, yeah. If I was anybody even rationally for her. Um, I needed to get my arm away, but I didn't want her to feel, I wanted her to feel acceptance and security and all those good things from Maslow's yeah. hierarchy. So I, I gently put my left hand on her arm and pulled away my right arm that was getting scratched and then gently took away my left hand too. But I didn't move my body and I kept um, eye contact. So I don't know what happened there. But I do know whatever it was, it was on the top of her experience, as yeah. un irrational as it might be. Um, yeah. What was the question? <laughs> no, that, this is all good. This is all good. <laughs> so it kind of leads into the next idea or the next question I, I was curious about with you. When you go through an experience like that, where it's an intense time. I mean, I'm sure many of us have had that experience of being with someone who's very loud, very verbal, but at the same time can't really express what's happening on the inside. It's kind of disturbing or it can feel disturbing or confronting or yes. maybe maybe it, it sits with you and it doesn't go away. You know, it, you, you finish that interaction, but it 
you still kind of feel heavy afterwards. Yes. So how do you care for yourself on the mental side of things yes. after heavy engagements like that with, with residents? What do you do? So that let's stay with that example for a moment. Uh, that time um, I uh, went to the nurse, uh, uh, I went to the LPN on the community, and um, we brought the resident back to her room for some care. Um, and I mentioned to the nurse just a little bit of what I just told you. And um, she said some of the things they were trying to do to make this individual comfortable and care for the others. So that helped me because I'm not isolated. I don't walk away going, oh, man, there's so much more I could do. And I mm -hmm. didn't. Or walk away, maybe I didn't connect with that person, just feeling like, wow, I'm not very useful. <laughs> um, isolation can do really nasty things because we're our self-critic. There's a, a wonderful yeah. book out right now about uh, the inner critic. And um, I have a social worker friend that I was a mentor for, and she uh, told me that I had a very loud inner critic um, and mm -hmm. that I needed to meet my inner cheerleader. Um, yeah. So we're very hard on ourselves. So um, I try not to be isolated. Uh, an intense experience like that, my immediate follow-up for my self-care is usually to interact with a care aid or a nurse about really? that experience. I'm not looking for therapy. I, I just don't want to be isolated on it. Um, and then it's wonderful to, to re, you know, again, be reminded that we're a team. Um, and uh, so then I go about my day. Maybe it's quite busy and I don't get to think about that, but I have this feeling that I, I'm very aware of my body. And if there's a tightness in my gut, I know that I'm stressed. Uh, and I probably need to take a little break before I go to my next thing. Um, and I've discovered that uh, deking into the washroom for a few minutes can be all I need. Uh, splash my face, just be quiet for a minute. Nobody's going to bother me except once when somebody saw me go in, this was at the hospital, there's a knock on the door. And I said, just a minute. And finally, <laughs> after the third knock, I opened the door and this fellow is there. and He was a volunteer at the hospital. And he goes, I've been watching you. I want to know who you are. <laughs> oh man i can't even hide in the toilet um so my self-care is to not be isolated if i need it give myself some physical isolation uh for a moment maybe in the washroom um and then later um later is when things happen i find um i'm quite a sensitive person and if i wake up in the middle of the night you know sleep cycles are if you're stressed you don't go to sleep right away or you do, but then you wake up and you don't go back to sleep. Um, if I wake up at three o'clock in the morning and I'm suddenly alert and I have this heavy feeling about that interaction, let's say, and yeah. maybe I need to talk to the son about his mom and I'm anxious about that. Yeah. That is so hard because I am vulnerable. I could wake up my wife, but you know, I don't like to do that. Yeah. Um, Sometimes I'll get up and make myself a note as to what I'm going to do. So my self-care can be um, letting myself off the hook by recording something so that I don't have to remember it now. I can go back to sleep. Um, and over the years, that, that, that has worn me down sometimes to where, I mean, one of your questions that you provided me with was, has there been a time when you were not doing well? Um, yeah. And those things do pile up. Sometimes there's a whole bunch of deaths 
some difficult funerals or difficult family interactions. And I'm not doing well and I'm worn out and um, a little depressed and yeah. low energy. And um, I'm not questioning what I'm doing and where I am. I know that's where I want to be and, and where God graciously has provided for me. Um, mm. So I'm not questioning those things. I'm just, I'm distressed. I'm, I'm tired and, and sad. And so for my self-care, when I realize that's where I'm at, um, there's a bunch of things that, that uh, are good practice. Um, looking after my physical well-being, making sure good nutrition, as good sleep as I can uh, manage. Um, getting exercise, for me that's bicycling and hiking. That one flows over into the psychological because um, some research indicates that if you see the horizon at least once a day, you will be um, mentally better off. So uh, it's pretty easy in British Columbia to see the horizon. You go to the ocean, there it is out there. I'm in the mountains, yeah. I, I get up a little higher, or gosh, I just look out my window and I can see things that are natural. Yeah. Um, spiritually, um, I, I translate from Hebrew and memorize songs. It's been a project for about 15 years. Um, yeah. And I love that. Um, I just enjoy it so much. I am naturally curious. I get into a song that was written 3,000 years ago in a culture that I don't understand, and I want to hear what God's saying. I don't want to misread it from my Western 21st century eyes. There yeah. are, there's just powerful stuff. So anyway, there, there's a, a mixture of things. The other aspect of uh, self-care has to do with um, emotions and relationships. Um, those are so essential. When I'm not doing well, I am shorter patience with my wife and maybe don't really want to talk to my kids on the phone that much. I am just tired. Um, mm. I, I need to pay attention to that. Um, I love those people and I need them. Yeah. Um, I need to put myself in places, even if I don't particularly feel like it, but being sensitive to myself. Um, there's a term in uh, psychology about uh, emotional uh, I've lost a bit of it, but emotional work. So when we're distressed, we're not in a our homeostatic status. We're not in our balanced status. We are unbalanced. And all yeah. sorts of things get out of balance. For instance, our digestive system. Uh, and so rebalancing needs to happen. And paying attention to the work emotionally that it takes us to get there takes a lot of energy. So yeah. part of my self-care is to try to work out some time and space where that can happen. Um, for me, that might mean saying to my wife uh, of a morning when I don't have anything scheduled, uh, is it okay with you if I take off now for about eight hours on my bicycle? And I will be home at five o'clock. Uh, I, you know, and, and off I go. And all I do is exhaust myself physically but I give myself emotional space, I find, to work through some stuff. And sometimes yeah. it is totally not rational. Um, so for instance, let's say I'm scheduled to give a talk uh, in a church or at our care facility the next Sunday, and I'm, I've worked through the exegetical work, I've, I've prepared the passage, I, I think I've got a handle on what's going on. 
but how am I going to communicate to people what it is that I've discovered here? So I find that by doing those self-care things, like getting on my bicycle for eight hours, without thinking about it, things will come into my mind. So how I'm going to illustrate that sermon, a story maybe comes into mind, or an experience. How I'm going to talk to a son about his mom and her distress might come into my mind. I know what I'm going to do. I need to start with, you know, whatever. So part of my self-care is, is knowing myself, what I need, what helps. And I, I know that that kind of uh, practice helps a great deal. Finally, David shares some of the things he has learned about serving others with advancing dementia. And I have to say, while I enjoyed everything in this conversation, I think this part was so helpful. Serving others dealing with the challenges offered by dementia is not easy. There are moments where we need to face our own insecurities. There are moments when we need to overcome and replace our inner critic. And there are times we need to deal with the uncomfortable feelings we have as we serve. It was so refreshing to hear some of the things David has experienced over the years in ministry with those in this situation. And I hope you feel refreshed and inspired as you listen to our last segment. What have you learned over your time when you're engaging with a resident who is dealing with dementia? And I mean, I remember, I mean, I just started as a chaplain uh, in the context of what well, I just started as a chaplain about two years ago, maybe a little bit more than that. But for me, I had never interacted with someone who was experiencing advanced dementia. Yes. And at the beginning, it was scary for me. Yes. It was hard for me. I, I, there were times where I was scared to be in the same space as that person just because they were doing things that were strange to me. I didn't, I couldn't understand the way they were looking, yes. like sometimes very glassy eyed or sometimes looking at me very intensely, like they just wanted to deck me. <laughs> but so at the beginning, it was a very frightening experience and intimidating. Yes. I, I'm, I'm so grateful that over the this time, I've, God has put a, a great love for these people in, in inside of me. So th that is transformed slowly over the last couple of years. But for you, when you interact with someone who is experiencing heavy dementia, like they can't express things well, or it's all muddled and confused or, uh, well, to me, Yes. Maybe to them, they're making sense. Right. But uh, how how have you learned to interact with them? Yes. An excellent question. And close to 90 percent of our residents in long term care have some level of dementia, whether it's just a little bit of vascular dementia from getting old and the hardening of the arteries or a dementia that set in after a, a severe stroke um, or a head injury from long past or some of the really, really distressing uh, uh, dementias like Alzheimer's, um, frontal temporal, things that, uh, that change the human being radically. Mm -hmm. um, and to the family members, this is physically the same person but isn't, isn't the same person. And to yeah. you and I, as we go in, isn't predictable, isn't understandable, isn't rational. Perhaps they, I mean, there's what you know we call pleasantly 
or happily demented. That is, the person has gone beyond knowing that they're losing it, and they're mm -hmm. just in the now. Uh, yeah. And there's a, a lovely young woman um, called Jolene Brackney that uh, um, has a, a series of uh, DVDs about being in the moment. It's called Moments of Joy. Uh, it's a delightful series, uh, being with people in the moment. So if, if, if that's where the person is at in dementia, it's discovering right, what right now gives pleasure. Um, yeah. Maybe it's a gentle touch to the hand. Maybe it's just sitting close. Maybe it's singing a song um, when we're allowed to do that again. Um, <laughs> maybe it's playing some gentle music. Um, maybe it's going and looking in the garden. W whatever the pleasure is. Um, with folks that are, are losing their cognition and know it, that is such a distressing time for the person. Um, there's something called expressive aphasia. That's where there's brain damage that interrupts the language area. So the person can think. They want to say, I am wet. I need the care aid. Mm -hmm. But they open their mouth and they go, and 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 talks. And you go, oh dear. Yeah. Okay, that wasn't tongues. Um, oh, <laughs> dear. Uh, and then the person looks really distressed. Yeah. Um, in expressive aphasia, that individual knows what they're meaning to say. They know that they have not said it. They know that they are not being understood. That is really distressing. I can yeah. just imagine for the person. Um, so I certainly will involve the other team in trying to decide what to do to bring this person some, some comfort. Part of what you were saying, um, Aaron, about um, how you feel in, at first in the presence of somebody with severe dementia, I think there's a couple of levels to that. One is you have no idea what the verbal and nonverbal is. It, it does, you can't connect. It, it has no meaning for you. And we need yeah. meaning to interact with, to some extent. Secondly, you don't know what to do with yourself. Yeah. What do you say? Do you keep eye contact? Is that frightening the person? Yeah. What? Um, and on that level, I, I still get that. I mean, I'm, I've been doing this a long time. I will still find myself feeling like I did when I was 15 years old. I was getting a little too tall for myself. My arms always felt longer than they should be. Yeah. I was sure that there was some lettuce stuck in my teeth and I better get it out. <laughs> Because, you know, <laughs> you know that awkward feeling where yeah. you just want to scream and run from the room? Yep. I still get that feeling inside of me. I want to scream and run from the room. I want to go somewhere where I feel safe because I don't feel safe. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, we, we'll just have to deal with that and, and learn ways of interacting with people, still being kind to ourselves dealing with the inner critic who goes, you idiot, you've done yeah. it. <laughs> you're useless. You know, that's what my inner critic likes saying. Um, I've, I've had the, uh, God's been good in my life and um, my interaction with people with mental illness, which dementia has a great deal of similarity and involves uh, many times, um, began when my mom started working as a volunteer in a mental health uh, clinic, Canadian Mental Health in Victoria. And I would go and, and uh, see her after school. This was high school and first year university. And um, 
I was fascinated with, with the strange behaviors. I was curious what, what, what was going on with the people that came to this uh, day clinic. Um, so that began me following that curiosity. So I, I took um, abnormal psychology and did a, a thesis in psychology at undergrad, um, did some therapy courses, learned to understand myself and how to interact with people with mental illness. Um, I, I found it just a growing uh, interest in me. And one of the things that first caught me was, like that Psalm 139 verse 1 translation, the barriers are down. When we're fairly normal and well healed financially, we can afford to protect ourselves in lots of ways and keep the barriers up so that people don't need to see the bits of us that are, well, just a little humiliating and sometimes yeah. shameful. What I discovered quickly in mental health uh, interactions, people who are struggling with their, their mental health uh, and people economically struggling, because I worked in inner cities in Boston and Toronto, was that you can't afford the barriers. Either you don't have the capacity because of your mental illness, or you don't have the financial capacity to hide yourself. That was so refreshing that yeah. here was another human being whose barriers were down and I could be me with them uh, yeah. and they could be them and we could connect. Um, that, that, that engaged me throughout my life. So part of dealing with what to do in dementia, I think is in let yourself discover what grabs you in that and and realize you're part of a team you're not alone there's so much to learn that's part of good self-care too is learning yeah um, yeah let, let your curiosity go and learn and try just try give yourself permission to bomb i don't know how many times i know i've looked stupid um <laughs> early on in my career i said to the activities coordinator who still works with us um, I said to her, you know, if you find me standing in the hall looking lost, it's because I'm lost and I don't know what to do. So please give me somebody to go see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, she helped me a great deal. Yeah. So if you're you're engaging with someone, and, and first of all, I totally get that feeling of feeling like you're bombing or looking like a fool. <laughs> I mean, one of my personal challenges that I'm I'm struggling with, especially not so much here at Cary Place where it's kind of independent living and, and residents are very cognitive cognitive and, and they can interact with you without any trouble. But my my bigger challenges happen when it's in like the public space, like maybe in the dining area. Yes. I know there are staff around yes. doing their doing their jobs, and I'm trying to. I see a resident who I know is not very verbal, and I I, I can see myself sitting down with that resident. I know I want to, yes. but I sit down and I try to engage the resident. I know they're not going to talk to me, yes. or I, I just feel like I'm going to look like I'm talking to myself. Yes, and there's like this whole uh you're gonna look stupid yeah. if you're just gonna sit you're gonna just sit there and everybody's gonna see you talking to yourself and that resident is not gonna respond and there's that whole um 
I don't know, just f- fear of feeling like a you 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 look dumb in front yeah, of your peers. I don't, I don't know. Dumb. I I had a manager, uh, a, a, the ma- the campus manager, um, a marvelous woman from many years, and one of her she gave me lots of sentences to use in my head when I'm feeling like that because you're 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 telling me that you're saying to yourself, I think I look stupid. I am here with my peers and family members. They see me, and I do look stupid. Uh, so. The sentence that my friend gave to me was, who am I here for? Mm. Me? No, no. When when it gets right down to it, no. I'm here for the residents, here for the family. So I'm just going to park myself. I'm, I'm Whatever I look like, I look like. I'm here for the resident. Here's my focus. That has gotten me over those moments a great deal because I definitely feel them too. Um my other way of dealing with that is to plant myself, to stay there, not run. I really want to run. I really want yeah. to leave the room. Yeah. I do not want to look stupid. But I, I am hard on myself. And so uh, after I've planted myself there for a while, I do two things. Number one, I try to find anything funny. And I have a really active sense of humor. That gets yeah. me through a great deal of awkwardness. I laugh at myself. I laugh at whatever. Um, and then secondly, I try to find somebody to interact with who has seen what just happened. And I'll ask for their feedback. I'll say, Sally, I know you know me. I was feeling pretty dumb there. Can, yeah. can you just tell me what, what did you see? And Sally might say, well, I saw her son watching you with his mom from across the room. He was smiling. And, well, you might want to go talk to him. Yeah. And then I go, wow, okay, so I didn't see that smile, for sure, because I was looking at the resident. I wouldn't have known if I hadn't talked to Sally. I go over to talk to the son, and the son goes, you know what? I can't get her to talk to me either. Yeah. I, maybe I'm going to do what you just did. I'm just going to park myself, see what happens. Because, man, I feel stupid when I do that. Yeah. You just stayed there. What were you feeling? And I go, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so so I've gotten some other feedback because my inner critic was too loud. And mm. Sally was my cheerleader. And she said, look, you didn't notice. The sun was smiling. Yeah. And, and as you're sitting there, I'm sure you've had moments like that where they're not saying anything to you. Do you just kind of... Uh, do you, do you sit in silence with them? Maybe putting your hand on theirs if that feels like a good thing to do, or do you just look in their eyes if that feels comfortable? Or are you kind of like monologuing about the weather or about the trees that are okay. moving in the wind? Or I try what? not to monologue. <laughs> I don't say too many words. Um, I don't initiate the touch unless it's there's a history of the person likes to be touched. Um, best to put myself in a place where they can touch me if they choose. Mm-hmm. Uh, take my hand. That, that often happens. Um, uh, the first time a male did that, um, I put myself near to where he was. He reached out and took my hand and started to walk me around the community. Yeah. Uh, inside of me, I'm going, I'm not comfortable. <laughs> but that's my stuff. Apparently his stuff right now is he would like to hold my hand. So I don't know what this looks like to anybody else, 
Yeah. And maybe it's uh, maybe I need to look at my attitudes, right? And my assumptions, because he apparently is is quite happy right now. So I'll go with it. Um, yeah. So, but do I talk? I I um I put myself in a place where they the person can touch me if they choose. Um, I do not ramble. Um, I observe. So I'll say, uh, Mr. Smith, um, that is a fine plaid shirt. That <laughs> plaid shirt just looks like, put me on and I'll feel good. Yeah. And maybe Mr. Smith doesn't say anything or maybe he smiles or maybe he touches his plaid shirt. And yeah. I try to observe. Um, I might say, Mr. Smith, um, you know, I, I don't know how you feel about prayer. I don't know whether you think there's anybody out there. Um, I do. I know God loves me and, and I love God and I love to talk to God. Um, can I just talk to God right now uh, about you? I'd like to ask his comfort because you're frowning and, 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 well, I don't know, you don't look comfortable. You look like you're shifting a great deal and just not in a place of rest. Yeah. Could I do that? Uh, if the person can, like in your circumstance, perhaps they might nod. Oh, I love that. That That's just like, yes, that's why I'm here. Mm -hmm. And then I, I talk out loud to God a little bit. Um, one time I did that and the man said, he did speak, he said, I don't speak much because my English is bad. Yeah. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, I think you told me you're born in Ukraine. He said, yeah. I said, would you like to pray? Oh, but I couldn't. I said, in Ukrainian. He said, yes. So he prayed in Ukrainian and cried. Mm -hmm. And um, we finished. I said, amen. <laughs> yes, this is why I'm here. Wow. You just, you don't know until you do plant yourself long enough for something to happen. And if nothing happens, well, I'm pretty good at making an exit. I do yeah. that slowly. I try to communicate with my body that I'm not in a hurry to be anywhere. I don't look at my watch. In fact, I don't wear one because I don't trust myself. I don't look yeah. at the clock. I look at the person. Um, I don't shift around a lot. I try to be comfortable, get to the level of the person if they're in a wheelchair. Yeah. Um, I try to communicate non-verbally. I'm, I'm here, going no place. Yeah. Um, and I try to take the cue if it's not verbal, like, well, thank you for coming to see me, Pastor. Um, yeah, yeah. Maybe the person closes their eyes, and I'm not sure. Yeah. Are they resting? Would they like me to leave? <laughs> <laughs> so I might say, well, would you, would you like me to go now? Do you want to just be by yourself? Uh, I'm looking for any feedback I can get. And if I don't get it, then I just quietly go, I'll be on my way now. I'll be back. I'll check on you because this has been good. Thank you. I like yeah. being with you. Wow. Well, uh, David, we're, we're already giving <laughs> up our time. Yeah. But this has just been marvelous. I've had such a good time. Me too. Uh, learning from you. And I hope, I hope I can reach out and ask you more questions Love in the future. Please, please. But, uh, thank you so much for sharing and for 
helping, I'm sure, so many people. Well, you've you. helped me. You've you've given me lots of things to think about, and uh, I surely appreciate it. Well, thank you for your interest and in humor and curiosity and, <laughs> and, and love for people. Okay, I'm just going to press stop here.